I need more money. We're not New York. Find players with the money that we do have. I like Perez. Got an ugly girlfriend. Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. You guys are talking the same old nonsense. Like we're looking for Fabio. We got to think differently. Who's Fabio? Your goal shouldn't be to buy players. Your goal should be to buy wins. And in order to buy wins, you need to buy runs. Who are you? I'm Peter Brand. First job in baseball? It's my first job anywhere. We're going to shake things up. Why don't you walk me through the board? I believe there's a championship team that we could afford because everyone else undervalues them, like an island of misfit toys. We want you at first base. I've only ever played catcher. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, watch. It's incredibly hard. He can't throw. But what can he do? You want me to speak? When I point at you yet. He gets on base. You're discounting what scouts have done for 150 years? What the hell am I doing? What is happening in Oakland? It defies everything we know about baseball. Just plain crazy. If we win with this team, we'll change the game. Hey everybody, welcome to the Washes Podcast. I'm Alan. I'm Ryan. And I'm Devin. And today we're going to talk about the... We're going to finish off Ryan's baseball trilogy for the season. <laughs> yes. Uh, finally, baseball season yeah. ended a few weeks ago, but circumstances happened and we weren't able to talk about this movie then. Yeah. But we're here now. So today we're going to talk about the 2011 film Moneyball starring Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Take it away, Ryan. Okay. So, uh, as Alan said, it's a 2011 uh, baseball movie uh, directed by uh, Bent Miller. Did I get that Bennett first? Miller. Bennett Miller. Okay. Um, which I wasn't, I did not know, and I was very actually happy to find out when I was doing my research that he directed uh, Capote or Cap- Capote, uh, uh, the movie that was based off him writing the novel In Cold Blood. Yeah. So I was actually very happy to see that because I really enjoy that movie. Um, he but, also directed the film Foxcatcher. Oh no! With way. Steve Carell, yeah. Mark Ruffalo, and Channing Tatum. Yeah, I, I saw like ten other films, but I didn't really recognize them. Yeah. So, like, I was like, I'm just going to mention the one I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So, my experience with this film started a few years ago. So I didn't see this when it first came out. Um. I knew what it was based off of because, like, I. I didn't I've never read the book that this is based off of, um, but I know the context of what the book was written on. So it's one of those things where, like, I know what the book's about. So when the movie came out, I'm like, well, I know what I, I know what this movie is based off of because I know what the book it was based off is based off of because I know the original <laughs> event that this thing is like written about. So um, it took me a while to actually watch it. But when I did, I was like, I was happy to finally see a good like biopic kind of like not really a biopic but kind of like a documentary ish kind of film Mm -hmm. like done in a real professional like hollywood style because you don't get sport movies like this no you don't because either it's like it's a comedy or it's like an inspirational like Mm -hmm. like you know teen movie so it's good to finally have like a movie like this out there um and when I first watched it, I got, I was really happy at the fact that they um, used some original broadcast footage, and I think they recreated other broadcast footage for some of the scenes. Um, I really enjoyed the way that they edited um, going in between the broadcast film and having the actual actors out there playing baseball. And there's other things about that, too, of like the little nuances of what they did for casting that we'll get into. But when I originally saw this movie, like I said, I was really happy to actually find like an actual good, like professionally done film about sports. And it, I watch it every few months. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely watch it at the start of every baseball season, along with a bunch of other films. Uh, but I mean, that's really my experience with it. I know that's kind of long winded, but uh, what did you guys feel about it? I had seen this before. Back when it came out, it was a awards contender. I think I watched it in college because it was nominated for six Oscars. Wow. Uh, yeah. Best motion wow. picture, best actor in a leading role, supporting role, achievement in film editing, sound mixing, and adapted screenplay. Did it win any of those? No. 
but it was the first sports movie to be nominated for best picture since uh field of dreams wow and that was like 1989 or 1988 okay okay um i think what drew me to this movie was aaron sorkin the writer of the west wing yeah this is sorkin aaron sorkin worked on the screenplay with steven zazalian who also directed who also wrote the irishman uh Gangs of New York, yeah, that explains Hannibal, Mission Impossible, Clear and Present Danger, whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Schindler's List, and he was actually called in to do like a rewrite, but yeah. he said that he didn't really do much to it because he liked what the original script was so much. Yeah. So he petitioned to have the original writer's name still put on for oh, to, to be credited. There's actually a lot of that in this film. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I remember watching this and enjoying it. Uh, I wasn't big on baseball at the time, so mm-hmm. I think having you wa- make me watch more baseball movies before going back and watching yeah. this one kind of helped it this time around. Yeah. Um, and I have a better appreciation for for Brad Pitt as an actor since uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, no, I enjoyed it. Devin, this was your first time watching yeah. it, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, I really, really like this movie. Um, this was, I mean, really, this was, I, it started off and it was like, just like old clips of like baseball, like actual footage. I didn't know the context or anything about it. And I was, I, I was a little skeptical going into it. So I was like, oh, it's the baseball movie. And I don't hate baseball movies. I don't. But like, I, I think the synopsis that I read before I like, like watched the movie was something like Brad Pitt assembles a, you know, like something like a an unlikely team or something like that and i was like all right it's gonna be a little bit like the other one that we watched where it's gonna be like oh these wacky zany characters all on it It was not that movie and (laughs) i loved that it wasn't that movie and i loved that it was a side of baseball that i didn't even know existed yeah and it's one of those like once you know it exists you're like well of course it does why would you not think it does yeah i just thought it was like what 25 26 people that just like really loved baseball and they all figured it out yeah, no, yeah, it, it, it's, that's one of the aspects that I like about this movie is that it gets into, like, the front office stuff, mm-hmm. like, the technicality, the dealing, uh, you know, how, like, how this system works. Like, you've got, like, let's say um, you go to, like, in Pennsylvania, in Easter Pennsylvania, there's an attraction called Roadside America. Oh, yeah. And it's off of... 78 i think yeah one of those um and it's supposed to be at one point it was like the world's largest model train set and on and so on top it's like a copy of this town that the person who made it like copied off of and there's like cars and lights and everything but underneath it's just a mechanical mess of like how this thing works and i love this movie because it's basically showing that mechanical mess underneath the field so Mm -hmm. you've got all these play like you watch it you go to a game you watch it on tv got the players the announcers the finished product Mm. what this film does is kind of give you a glimpse of under the table of under the model train set of like how what's the effort that it takes to get this person playing first base Mm -hmm. or this person as a manager like what's the little like nitty-gritty to to get it there and i love that this film kind of shows it at a turning point in baseball philosophy at the major league level which is you know which it's it's completely it's not really completely changed the game but it changes the way money is handled and some and and there are still teams that really don't follow this and then there were other teams that really do but the majority of all of baseball like at the top level have all gripped on to this philosophy yeah yeah. it's the it's how the sausage gets made but it's also for anyone who's not quite sure what we're talking about it's why who's on first and wh- why what's on second <laughs> and why i don't know is on third oh my gosh <laughs> so then i know this is probably a dumb question but how much of this is true because it i mean you're right it felt very biopicy for a yeah. while but like is you know brad pitt's character is that a real person is jonah hill's character or are they like all of the characters are real wow um they did uh they when it comes to the back office people, some names were changed out of respect of the individuals asking to have their names changed. Sure. Um, simply because of how they were portrayed. 
Oh. Um, so like the assistant GM, the guy that tells Billy Bean to uh, like, you know, F you. And then yeah. he was like, you're fired. Um, the guy that that's based off of his name is not what his character was in the movie. Oh. And he has no issue with how he was betrayed. He, he was just upset at the fact that his character dropped the F bomb because, uh, oh. and because of that, he couldn't take his grandson to see the movie. Oh. <laughs> so a good, wholesome reason. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got that side of it, but then you have the other side where the age with the, with the A's manager art, mm-hmm. um, who's being betrayed by the guy who played Capote yeah. in the, uh, uh the in late Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Yes. Um, the, the actual manager is a, is is a baseball guy he was a player then he was a scout then he was a manager and i think he's still involved with baseball but i'm not sure what like the context is but he was very upset with how he was betrayed in the film because he had he has said that he has had no ill feelings towards billy bean that the conversations that were shown in the film weren't really what they were. You know, he, he, he was kind of like, why do you want me to do this? But there wasn't that like, not the real contention there. Um, but he was portrayed by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, wow. Yeah. Um, the way that I see that as Uh. a baseball fan and, you know, like reality versus fantasy is that they needed to show like Billy Bean and, uh, the guy that wrote the book mm-hmm. about this whole schematics thing or saber me- uh, saber metrics is mm-hmm. what they call it. Um, they needed to show how much baseball was against this idea. So instead of like having like additional scenes of like other GMs like talking behind Billy Bean's back or you know, that they just had every person that Billy Bean was like trying to work with was against it. So they were trying to portray the entirety of Major League Baseball being against him on this idea by using the, the direct people that he worked with every day. Well, I think that's more effective because they did have a couple scenes where you heard like, you know, announcers talking or like the radio, yeah. like the talking heads, like, oh, you can't build a baseball team like that. There's tribal knowledge that we know that he'll never get from that computer. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I, I think it would have been less effective if that's the only opposition you saw in the movie. I did like the idea of the GM being kind of the opposition character just because they're both in different positions of authority over the players themselves. Yeah. Like I, it just like how it seems like they were structured. Cause it seems like it was Brad Pitt. Like he had like real final say, but the guy that was actually boots on the ground with the team every day, the GM yep. or not the GM, the coach, was he the coach? The manager, manager, the manager yeah. was like, Okay, fine, but I'm gonna want be the one that puts them on the field. I'll if I don't agree with you, here's this. Yeah, and I like that as like a film and like narrative thing. Yeah, and that's why I'm not like. That's why I am not um, against what they did, mm-hmm. but I do. But I definitely understand why. Um, that manager would be upset because I mean he is really. The manager at that point who is working with the A's is a really well-respected guy, and mm-hmm. he's been all over major leagues. He's managed several different teams. He's played for several different teams. He was on the, the uh, he was a scout for several different teams. Mm-hmm. Like everybody knows this guy, so I could I could understand why he'd be upset. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's one of those things where it's like you've got to understand that like this is a movie. They take artistic license, right? They so, have to, you know. There's that, like but the I mean, fact- mostly everything's. Mostly everything's true yeah. to like how it is. Yeah, like the fact that uh, Brad Pitt's character is actually remarried at this point. Yep, and they just never show her. Oh, is he really? Yeah, but what? he's constantly wearing a wedding ring, though. They didn't yeah. take that out. If yeah, you they, watch, he's always they, wearing. A wedding. Yeah, they, they film scenes, but if you don't show the new wife and him wearing the wedding ring, just makes you makes it look like he's still longing for his ex. Yeah, yeah, which is true. Weird. They they had this. I don't know. I I think they needed to make him. Feel more desperate of a character than he was because mm-hmm. like you know in a lot of the movie he was like on the verge of losing his job and then you'd be like oh he lost the job and the wife and like that i, I feel like that seems more sympathetic maybe well one of the things that a lot of people do who are big fans of this movie like one of the jokes is that for 80 percent of the film brad pitt is either eating something or throwing something yes that's, that's oh my gosh <laughs> brad pitt in every movie is eating something. <laughs> i'm gonna you know, be at one point he eats a twinkie in this it was sunflower seeds almost constantly. 
That got distracting. Is that a real thing that everyone in baseball is always eating sunflower seeds? Well, I don't really know if they were showing him eating sunflower seeds or peanuts. I still can't tell oh. because like when he was in the manager's office, when he was in the GM's office for the Cleveland Indians and they were talking back and forth, like trading players, mm-hmm. like Brad Pitt was like leaning over trying to like, I'm going to assume this was kind of like trying to like show dominance or like or you know like being confident which is just like reaching over and grabbing the food off the guy's desk um but i just like this part of the sport always fascinates me because Mm -hmm. it's the business side and it's the side that like i mean great you can be a fanatic fan and that's wonderful but at some point you've got to decide as you grow up are you going to stay a fan of the team which pretty much means you're a fan of the organization and the look of the team Mm -hmm. or are you a fan of the players right and wherever they go yeah and or and it's and me personally like i'm kind of both like mm-hmm. i like the players i like the organization i i like the organization i follow um and understanding the back office makes understanding the moves easier so it's like yeah great we've got a player that's been on the team i follow for like almost 20 years but his contract's up. He's 37 years old. He wants to play two more years. There are two younger players that are very good that are behind him to ready ready to take that role. And does the organization spend seven, six, five million dollars uh, you know, for two more seasons to keep him at home plate, even mm-hmm. though we have better players behind him? Well, maybe not better, but younger mm-hmm. that deserve that opportunity. And it's like understanding that that like feel to it and kind of making up your own mind on it like th- that's the kind of fan i am right i'm not somebody that's like oh they should definitely keep him he's been you know part of this team forever like i'm not gonna like this is horrible and i'm just like it's not my money you understand the business i'm side. here for the sport and to watch this team that was that you know plays in this city play like yeah the, i mean great if they do well and if they get a great player that's great but I, it's a business right so and that's what what I like that they show. Ryan, can you try to pull your mic a little bit closer? Okay. There we go. I'll just scoot up a little bit. How about that? Because I don't want to break fine. this thing. So, so I, oh, go ahead. No, you, you go. I think one of the things that drew me to this movie a lot is it kind of subverts a lot of the standard like sports cliches. I think, and I every time it did that, I just fell more and more in love with the movie. Uh, one of the examples is like, oh, the wacky team of misfits. Like any other movie would have showed that a lot more, I think, and would have made them the thing. They would have made Brad Pitt the bad guy manager who's yeah. always oh, focusing on numbers and not on people. And it's <laughs> about people. And like the whole like, we got to win the last game. That's the important one. That's what they were in. They lost the last game to no fanfare. Like yeah. it just lost pan- like this really cool like fade shot of the, it was the dugout, right? Mm-hmm. And then. That was it. And I love that. Like every time they do an anti-sports movie thing, yeah. I just kept loving this movie. The, and, o- the only real time they have like the, this is the wacky character. Yeah. And it wasn't even that wacky was when the uh, pitcher says to Brad Pitt, I think I, I'm me and my family are praying for you. Yeah. Uh, that's like, the only time you really see a, a, a personality quirk outside of baseball for any of the players. Mm-hmm. Um. And it was just that one moment, and they'd never really address it again. Well, I like that because all the players here felt like professionals yeah. that knew what they were doing. They weren't caricatures of zany personality types. It wouldn't it be weird if they were playing yeah. baseball together. Yeah. Like if Chris Pratt was just playing Andy Dwyer from Parks and Recreation, it right. would have been it would have been weird. <laughs> it would have been weird. I would have seen it happen. Like they could have done that easily, but they didn't. Yeah, yeah. And th- to me, this is why the funny moments in this movie are hysterical to me. Yeah. Like when the guy who plays David Justice goes in to, to talk to Brad Pitt's character. Mm-hmm. And this is after the conversation Brad Pitt has with him. Um, did I say Chris Pratt or Brad Pitt? Right. <laughs> when David Justice's character uh-huh. goes in to talk to Chris Pratt. Right. About, you know, like, hey, how you doing? He's eating cereal. And... He's like, so what's, you know, what's your biggest fear or whatever? And he's just like, if the ball is hit in my general direction and David Justice is like, ha ha, that's funny. And he's like, no, actually, yeah. And then he doesn't know what to say. So then Chris walks away and he's just like, well, good luck with that. Because <laughs> he doesn't know what to say to help him. And yeah. it's one of those real awkward moments that happens. Yeah. And, that's, and, and because of how grounded this movie is, that comes off as hysterical. 
I can't tell if this is a criticism of mine, but I think it's going to be. I don't think I ever got the payoff of Chris Pratt getting good at first. Well, you know that he became good at first because yeah. you know that like the team started doing very well. Yeah. Like probably historically yeah. well. But I don't I never like there was never like that moment where I was like, Chris Pratt's got it. Well uh in uh in outside of the movie, yeah. By the end of the season, um that 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 player mm-hmm. uh ended the year with a above average defensive score. Wow. Amongst other true first basemen. And that was the first time he's ever been. Like and really was, it was the first time he's ever done first I base. I believe so, yeah. Wow. That was the first time he ever played first base. But he's also not the first I mean Baseball is littered with players who spent their entire youth and young adulthood preparing to be like a pitcher or, mm-hmm. you know, a, a catcher. And then when they got to like AAA right before the major leagues, some coach was like, you know, you, you have the arm for a pitcher, but you'd be good at shortstop. Mm-hmm. And then they try him at shortstop for a couple games. And lo and behold, that person holds the position at shortstop at uh at shortstop for a major league team for 10 years wow it's happened was that there was uh there was a pitcher that came up uh it was with the cardinals Mm -hmm. in the early millennium and he was like a phenom and then one day he just forgot how to pitch and he was wildly missing the strike zone got pulled out was uh he went down to the minors turns out he had some like uh, anxiety issue he came back as an outfielder and he set like and he did really well as a hitter Mm-hmm. And pitchers don't hit, so I mean, like things like this happen. Yeah. So it's the 2002 Oakland A's is littered with amazing stories, not just the one that this movie not covers. Not just this one. Yeah. I didn't. Okay, this is going to be a weird Devin moment, but I didn't really even know this was a team. Uh, when the <laughs> movie opened, I was like, "Oh, the American League is that the minor league?" And then they showed like the athletics and I'm like, I've never heard of them. They must be on the same level as the senators. <laughs> and then like, I watched more of the movie and went, Oh, they're major league. And I'm just me. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause like right away they're playing the Yankees. Right. And I was like, <laughs> baby Yankees? Like, is there like a farm team of the Yankees called the Yankees? And that's why in 2001, Rudy Giuliani was there. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So this movie was the first time Jonah Hill stepped out of comedy and started doing more serious work, which he's kind of known for now. Yeah. Um, Devin, what was your introduction to Jonah Hill? I mean, I think it might have been everyone's with Breaking Bad. Super bad. Super bad? Super bad, I mean. It was, I always get those two mixed up for no reason. Um, Yeah, it was super bad when he was the guy that drew the, the penises everywhere. Okay, it wasn't accepted? Oh my gosh, that was him too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it was because he was. Sure you, I'm pretty sure you and I saw. I think we did. Like a bunch of us during band camp. Yeah. Like one night. Because he was. He accepted. He was Ask hot dog me guy. about my wiener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was accepted. I forgot that movie existed. That's a shame. I love Accepted. Yeah. Was that your introduction to Jonah Hill? It was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he's really. Since. Uh, since Moneyball, he's really branched out into serious dramatic stuff with the wolf of wall street um war dogs didn't he direct one it was like early 90s or something yeah oh wow it was about he, like it was written based off his mid-90s. personal mid 90s yeah it was like written off his personal experience like trying to hang out with who he thought was the cool kids which was like a bunch of skateboarders oh, wow. and it was yeah. just like his like memory of all of that it's it's based off of that it sounds good though yeah yeah I don't know. I like him as a as a serious actor. I think he does a great job. Yeah. I realized with this movie though, I really like the Brad Pitt is the smartest person in the room trope. I don't know why, but he like just plays this like a self-assured arrogance extremely well, and I'll probably watch that any day of the week. Doesn't he do that in everything though? Yeah, Isn't it and I'm <laughs> he's like that. Uh-huh. And um once upon a time in Hollywood, he's like that. Yeah, and I'll, I, I, I'll take it. Especially in the uh, Bruce Lee scene. Oh my gosh. I anybody love kills anybody, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch so, that movie again now. The one thing that I like about that part of the personality that he portrays in this is the fact that like he works with what he knows. Mm-hmm. And even if he's not the smartest person in the room, he does what he needs to do to like gain, like to 
to like get that ground that he's missing. It's true. Yeah. And that's what they were showing with him reading the book by Bill James that this whole thing is based off oh, of. Oh yeah. Um when he was on the plane. So like that picture of like the page where it had like the math on it when he was on the plane. Yeah. Like that's from Bill James's book when he was talking about like how this whole sabermetrics thing is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. And the reason why there was so much flack to this at first is because just what the scouts were saying, like people who have been doing this for 150 years, people who have been like, who are like been living baseball, like they feel like they have a special key to like seeing talent, being able to size up a player. And you've got, and they're mostly, I mean, with how many people get drafted and how many players actually go through the farm system compared to how many actually like, play and stay in the major leagues for longer than like a season and a half their their rate of success is worse than like a pitcher's batting average oh my gosh (laughs) which i mean it's it's really bad and what they showed at like the kitchen table with billy bean as a youth which he was drafted by the mets and he did go through all of that like that's what these kids here from the scouts Mm -hmm. and this is what's fed to the parents it's like we could see this person being a major you know like uh we could see this you know we could see your son being our next center fielder our next pitcher and we want to develop him because he has the skills and Mm -hmm. all this like five player tool stuff and four player tool stuff and it's one of those things where when you hear it enough it just sounds like it sounds like modern business lingo right kind of just just nonsense like it if you know the terminology you can fake your way through it Mm -hmm. kind of (laughs) so it's one of those things where it's kind of silly in a way just like in the movie when they're all around and the one scout shouts out he has an ugly girlfriend yeah and they made it be like a confidence thing to to like judge the guy's confidence there was by me looking stuff up, supposedly there was a scout that said something like that during a meeting for the A's, but it was supposed to be a judgment of eyesight instead of (laughs) confidence. So I mean, make it better. (laughs) No, it it doesn't. But I mean, the thing is the, these guys that go out and they're ex players or they're ex coaches and they, all they know is baseball. So they find a job as wherever they can. They end up being a scout. Mm -hmm. They have to evaluate players that are like 14, 15 years old, you know, watch them until they're 18, decide if they're worth to draft or not to spend the money on. And then hopefully they work their way through the system to the major leagues. Right. So you've got all this stuff that they based on, like, you know, the sound of, you know, when they swing and they hit the ball. What does does that sound like? It sounded like nothing. They said that in the movie. And he's like, when he hits the ball, the crack fills the I'm like, that's not a critique like why are they bringing this up because it's true is it really because it's swinging force and it's how hard you hit the ball if if you're somebody who goes up there and every time you get contact there is a definite echoing pop Uh off the bat that means that you are squarely hitting that ball which means your hand-eye coordination is extremely well is extremely good Mm -hmm. but if you go up there and it's like dinks and boinks and Mm -hmm. you know like like it doesn't it's not a clean sound it means you're not hitting with with true contact and that's mm-hmm. where you get like the pop flies and like the and, and like the slow balls hit up the middle well, and it seem like they go everywhere it's stuff like that so like that's stuff that they look for mm-hmm. like because you know somebody's swinging a bat around you know they could be swinging at like 70 miles an hour and it's hard their naked eye you can't really you know so you go off sound and I think that's why it's they bring that up is so when you get to that moment in that 20th game when Chris Pratt's up to bat and then he just whacks it out of the park. Yeah. Like Brad, they make it seem like Brad Pitt could actually hear it down in the locker room. Yeah. it's uh, a good point. So, and that's like the, the best moment of the film, even though it's complete bullshit. <laughs> but it, it emphasizes that point of he knows where to hit the ball because you see him going over where the balls where his weak spots are with jonah hill so he knows how to adjust in that moment and then just hits it depending on the stadium you're in you can hear a well-hit ball anywhere in the park wow 
That's cool. That's pretty cool, though. I mean, but, but I mean, to to Alan's point, that was kind of a build up to like you know mm-hmm. to that point because there's a reason why they like toned everything down. And you heard the pop of the bat. Um, reality, yeah. though, uh, he was fined. The player was fined for that hit. Why? <laughs> um, because it wasn't his sponsored. Uh, he had a deal with a bat company and he wasn't supposed to be playing that day because it was his day off and he was called up like they show in the movie and he wasn't really expecting it. So when he went up to bat, he accidentally grabbed a different team member's bat. So he wasn't using the branded bat that he had a contract with. So he was fined through because of his contract that he signed um, with that company. So yeah, funny. (laughs) How much was the fine? I have no idea, but It couldn't have been more than maybe a couple hundred, maybe a thousand dollars, depending on how much. But yeah, that's crazy. I, that's I mean, the way these things work. I mean, they make enough money; it's not a huge deal for yeah. them. So, well, depending, because that's another thing about this movie that I really like. It gets into the nitty gritty of like contract, like not contracts, yeah. but like the amount of money that's how spent. much they make. Yeah. So, so when Brad Pitt goes to Cleveland and they just see the Indians head in the lobby, yeah, yeah, I, it just took me back to Major League. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where I'm not sure if that is accurate to like if Billy Bean actually went to Cleveland um, that offseason to like talk about trades. But if you're going to make a movie like this and you're going to and it's based around a movie, uh, uh, it's based around a team that is you know not baseball. People know the Cleveland uh, yeah. baseball. People know, know the o- o- Oakland Athletics. Mm-hmm. People like Devin don't. Right, mm-hmm. right. No, I mean, it's just the way oh, it yeah. is. Um, and so when you have to have a like another team involved for something like that, it's good to use something recognizable. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely recognizable. But I mean, yeah. it was also an effective tool of storytelling because up until that point, we had seen where Brad Pitt works. We know what his office looks like. Yeah. And then you went to the other one and you saw what their office looks like. And yep. Oh boy, is that and like I almost asked, like, are they really that different in real life? Yes, because like Brad Pitt's office looked like it was like part of a locker room they dug the lockers out of, and also there's a desk there. Mm-hmm. Like, and I mean, the other one was like this beautiful place, and it's just—is that just the difference in money? It's difference in money. Wow. Uh, 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 let's see. The the Oakland Athletics are constantly one of the uh, smallest uh, payroll teams every every season. Um, it, it, it varies from season to season, but they're mostly on the bottom. Um, they play at the Coliseum. Uh, they play at the Coliseum at the Coliseum, which uh-huh. is a very old park, and that's that's what happens. You get some teams that like the St. Louis Cardinals, where they have literally built their own museum, shopping mall, hotel. What? condo complex across the street from the stadium and and they call it ballpark village and i cannot wait to go back to st louis and experience that as a cardinals fan i really can't wow the problem is that money has to come from somewhere right. and one of the disparities is being a fan of the of being the franchise that i like okay they're putting all this money into this thing across the street for fan experience but i'd rather them put that money on the field and give these players more contracts so they can get better players um but anyway that's just you know that's the way it goes. But then you have other teams that like their front office, their physical business like uh, being is at the stadium. Right. And that's it. They have no offsite office. Other teams do. Mm. And th- that's the disparity. I mean, just I love the scene at almost like right after the beginning montage, which I love. I, I love the whole beginning mm. of the film. But when that ends and he goes to speak to like the owner of the team and he's begging for more money and the guy's like, I don't have it. Right. And then at one point during a trade, he uh, uh, he had to pay the player himself. So, I mean, that's I mean, that's that's what small market teams have to have to work with. And it's silly thinking that a team in California is a small market team, but it's true. I mean, didn't Oakland just lose their football team? To Vegas, yeah, they did. They did yeah. But I mean, the Raiders have been jumping back and forth between L.A. Oakland forever. So I mean, it's yeah. That's why when it comes the the Rams and the Raiders, if they move stadiums, mm-hmm. I don't blink an eye because <laughs> it just happens. It happens once every 10, 15 years. <laughs> so one of the things, Alan, you said this movie was up for was sound design. 
Yeah. I actually agree with that completely. Like, that was one of the things that I really liked about this movie when I was watching it. In a lot of the same way that uh, I liked it in Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah. Where, like, it was just an eff- it was a very effective part of the movie. Like, yeah. my favorite, the part that made me, like, go, oh, I like that, was at the end, when they lost, the soundtrack cut. Yeah. Which was a callback to earlier when Brad Pitt went, you hear that? And, like, just, like, waited for I was like, that's the sound of losing. Yeah. And you literally heard the sound of the team lose. And, like, mm-hmm. I don't know why I like that so much. It was, like a, like, a super simple thing, but I thought that was so cool. Yeah. And one of the best aspects of sound that I like about this is more, um, like, audible. Kind of, it's, it, it, it's more of how they set stuff up so at the end they fade to black mm-hmm. um and then you've got the voiceover of like the of of like the sports person on the radio mm-hmm. like talking about how like you know you know baseball isn't numbers it's people yeah. and you know like y- you can't go against you know baseball wisdom because you know you need you know baseball people not just math and all that other stuff nobody ever actually said that oh, okay. the writers put that as kind of like the embodiment of how traditionalists or baseball conservatives felt about what happened to that team at that time it's kind of like oh yeah great yeah no sure fine statistics yeah worked for you for the season didn't it but when it came down to winning one game those those you know on base percentages meant nothing and that's what that was saying and but i mean to to be honest i mean the a's still haven't won a world series since 1989 since 1989 wow so I don't just know that I have yeah. a Wikipedia up on yeah. my page. <laughs> I was going to be so I can't see Wikipedia, so I was going to be so yeah. impressed. Yeah, and and just to show you kind of an idea of like how baseball is connected mm-hmm. and how like I have kind of an affinity towards the Oakland A's mm-hmm. to a sense because the, the manager that was on the Oakland A's in the late eighties mm-hmm. was, was Tony Larusa. Mm-hmm. Tony Larusa went from the A's to the St. Louis Cardinals mm-hmm. and kind of brought out what the Cardinals have been for the past 15 years, mm-hmm. which has been a very successful franchise. And he was part of that before with the A's, he was with the White Sox, my dad's team. So because of this connection, the Oakland A's is kind of like my unofficial, like secondary American league team, simply because of that connection. And the fact that after the Cardinals, because I'm very biased, I believe the Cardinals have the best looking uniform in the, in the the league um the oakland a's is a close second i love their look the green and the gold and the cursive on the chest and the giant white a on the hat and sometimes they wear the yellow brim sometimes they don't i i love it i love their look especially when they wear the green pants and uh and yellow jerseys yeah the uglier baseball the uglier the colors are on a baseball uniform the better it looks and i don't understand why because the, because the San Diego Padres mm-hmm. used to be brown and yellow. Ew. And they looked amazing. Because <laughs> they had a hat that was like in the back of the hat. Yeah. It was, and, and the brim was brown. But uh-huh. like the front where, you know, like the symbol is, it was yellow. And then you had the SD on it. And, and that worked? Oh, it looks great. <laughs> I'm... I'm a, I don't. I don't understand it. The oh. uglier the colors, the better the. I'm gonna have to look that up after. That's really <laughs> funny. Um, so we talked a little bit about this being Jonah Hill's big break into major serious roles. It's also kind of Chris Pratt's, because Chris Pratt wasn't really a movie star before this movie. I was trying to place this on the timeline of Chris Pratt. Where is this? It's in the early seasons of Parks and Recreation. Okay. So Parks and Rec started in 2009. Yeah. So this is about two or three seasons into Parks and Rec. Is this before? Oh, it was when he did the, um, oh my gosh, the SEAL Team 6 one. Yes. This is before that. Yeah. Zero Dark Thirty came out the next year. Okay. He was in Zero Dark Thirty? Yeah. Oh, I got to watch that. I I completely ignored that movie. He's one of the SEALs. Oh, cool. Okay. Which, like, had you told me, like, Andy Dwyer was one of the SEALs, I'd have been like, all right, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is where he started to, like, he worked really hard to get this role. Mm-hmm. I read that he um, kept calling back after his audition to see if they had cast it. And Aww. he was, 
they told him he was too big for the role, so he just kept losing weight and calling back. Oh my god! Until they finally cast him. Oh, so I thought he lost all that weight just for Star Lord. He lost it for this. He he lost he he fluctuated back and forth a bit. Oh, okay. So I think he gained it back for Parks and Rec, and then lost it again for Zero Dark Thirty, mm-hmm. and then for Star Lord, he actually had a scene where he had to take a shirt off, so he he got jacked as you do <laughs> in Marvel movies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's one of the things about uh, a lot of the players, well, a lot of the actors. Mm-hmm. Um, this film was dropped by Columbia, um, and when they were first casting this, the direct, the original director, I forget his name, Steven Sodenberg. Yes, um, he originally was trying to get all of the players back and like kind of do like them looking the way they do now, playing themselves then, kind of you know like doing yeah. you know like that type of thing. Columbia dropped it. Oh wow. Um, and they had already filmed some like testing scenes of of like Brad Pitt and, and his character interviewing these players. Wow. So there's scenes out there. I don't really know if you can get it, whatever. But uh, if you can get a hold of them. But anyway, when when um uh they brought the script back and they started making it again. The uh, the second director was like, no, I'm just going to hire actors. But what he did was he specifically looked for actors that had baseball experience. Almost all of the players or quote unquote players, actors that they showed portraying these like major leaguers have some minor league baseball experience. In fact, to kind of give you an idea, the the, the actor who plays David justice, the like veteran in the, in the clubhouse he looks remarkably similar to the actual david justice and in fact he was in the braves minor league system and he picked up the nickname young justice because he because was his play style and he looked like david justice so he got the nickname young justice when he was a player like perfect casting then perfect casting but a lot of the people they picked actually played in the minor leagues. And I think one or two of the guys actually played in the majors for like one guy played for like five games. I don't remember what the actor's name was, but he played for like five games. Another one played for like a a season or two, but that's cool. And I feel like that makes the movie, especially when they show them playing on the field. It feels more authentic. It does. And that's where I feel like, this helps because like they didn't need like the fancy action shots like they just needed you know to show the players going through the paces on the field especially when they messed up <laughs> yeah yeah now that you say that, there's really no like glory shots of baseball in this like no there's no like career defining catch it, with like the swell of music and it looks like they only filmed at one actual athletics game oh really yeah because you pay attention to like the actual games that you see it's all close-ups there's no like real crowd shots the only one that you see is the one where brad pitt comes back and then jonah hill's creepily looking at him from the stands (laughs) oh yeah um actually they filmed this like all of the field stuff Mm -hmm. it was all shot at dodger stadium they dressed up Dodger Stadium to look like eight different ballparks during filming wow because they didn't have the money because i mean could you to film field shots and not have the players, you know, v- you know, breathing out and having like, you know, like snow come out of their mm-hmm. mouth because you would have to film during the summer. I mean, you know, to make it look right. right. They just decided to like, we're, we're just going to film at Dodger Stadium. It's close to our studio. Mm-hmm. And they dressed it up to look like the Coliseum yeah. and for the for, for the angles they needed. How'd they do? They did great. As yeah, did they, as, you, you know, I had no idea in, in, until I read that. Because I mean, I'd never be able to tell. I mean, to be honest, I kind of figured that they might have. I figured, I thought that they actually got some shots on field at the Coliseum and they probably filmed any extra stuff at maybe like a college baseball field or something. But they did a good job. So they didn't go to, they didn't actually film in Boston? Because like that one, they're like no, no, in the stands. That, and, no, they went, they had one day to shoot. Huh. Um, and funny enough, the guy who plays like the, the owner yeah. of the, the Red Sox in that scene is the guy who portrayed the adult, um, uh, I forget his name from, uh, from Sandlot, the announcer guy, the one who's telling the story. Oh, that's him. That's him. Yeah. That's cool. And w- which is why I find it funny that Brad Pitt's like, yeah, the curse of your Bambino and the way, <laughs> and the way that he says it. Um, so I've there's that but they had one day to film that and it rained and they didn't want it to have a be a gloomy day in the script they just it was like just be like a normal boston clear day mm-hmm. 
so, so since you brought up Boston, yeah, the Curse of the Bambino. They talk about at the end of the film that the Curse of the Bambino is broken. Yeah, two years after this. Yeah, two thousand four. Yeah, uh, and that's because they started using the system, right? Yeah. Okay. But they also had the money to pay for the players to make up. So, like, the way that so what it is. It's exactly what Jonah Hill's character was saying. Yeah. You go off what the sabermetrics say and you pay and you look for that instead. You don't care about anything else. It's what the numbers say. And so you're able to be like, you know, I want, we're going to need, they had David Ortiz and they had a few other people that was on the, on the, 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 the team who were just awesome. Mm-hmm. But then they filled all of those other roles up with people that they got from using the system. Oh, so like they took what the A's did, but then they, but then they were also like, well, we also have the money to like get this awesome guy. Let's put him here because we can't really find someone <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, but, but yeah, no, I, uh, they hired the guy that wrote, wrote, wrote the book. This whole thing was based off of, mm-hmm. and they used that system. And that, that quote from the film is true when, the owner, quote unquote, the owner of the Red Sox said, you know, it, the people, the teams who are not tearing down their system and rebuilding off of your model are going to be dinosaurs. I don't know if he says dinosaurs, but I think he does. Or, yeah. Or something, or something like that. Like that yeah. yeah. Um, and it's true. Almost every team is starting to use the system. But then there are other teams, depending on like who's in the background, that are like, okay, we'll use this to evaluate the players we have, but we're still going to be doing the eyeball test to get our players. Right. So it's one of those things where they're not doing what like, you know, they portrayed in the movie where they were like, we're going to look at everybody. Right. <laughs> um, they're narrowing down that pool yeah. a little bit before. The, okay. Before yeah. they actually take a look at them. So, I mean, and, each team does it differently and they just yeah okay yeah. um so we spend a lot of time talking about like the nuances and the stuff and yeah. i really want to get to like our normal like questions okay and what was i have like my favorite lines can i know that um we kind of watch these movies kind of like i mean all three of us kind of binge this movie with other movies <laughs> yeah um so if you can and we're all kind of tired, so I understand. But, like, what, if not your favorite line, like, what's one that, like, comes to mind right now that, like, you enjoyed? Uh, so, after Brad Pitt goes through and trades a bunch of players for one guy yeah. and then makes Jonah Hill let one go, mm-hmm. uh, there's a moment between Philip Seymour Hoffman and Jonah Hill where he's like, Phil, uh, <laughs> Hoffman says to him, like, and you're, you agree with all this? And Jonah Hill's just like, absolutely. <laughs> And it, like just the delivery of that for that character, like him, him actually being firm in his stance for once and yeah. confident. I, I love that moment. Well, yeah. and then he follows it up with, "Who to shut this door?" Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> it was so good. He falls back into like himself at that moment. Yeah, I think for me, the more this movie leans into Sorkin, the more I like it. So my favorite part of it is when he is trying to get this one, get a player. I forget who the player is, yeah. but he calls who's getting them someone else is interested he calls that person and like just the wheeling and dealing and like that very specific sorkin-esque dialogue that happens there and you i know, think i really like that's about the only time there's a lot of sorkin in this and i think that's why i like it so much it, like it's tight like a sorkin script but uh-huh. it doesn't have the dialogue except for in those moments yep. when he's on the phone when he's wheeling and dealing and it works. It like, works so well. Like I get what why Sorkin didn't do much to this script. He just added moments like that, uh-huh. and it makes it so much better. How about you, Ryan? Uh, I've got uh, there are three instances as like a like a baseball guy mm-hmm. that I love that shows three different things of like being like you know a fan of the sport the way I am one. It has to do with like how like the internal structure of like the business works. Mm -hmm. And it's when Brad Pitt is leaning over Jonah Hill and he's like, who are you? And Jonah Hill is trying to like, he says his name and this and that. He's like, no, who are you? Mm -hmm. And then he finds out it's his, it's his first job. And then Brad Pitt, he says the line, whose nephew are you? (laughs) And that to me is just a clear point of kind of like a smack in the face of like, this is how like there, 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 there are baseball families and not players owners and back office people there mm-hmm. are baseball families that do this where like the assistant gm gets like their nephew a job and like the if not the player's development like 
part of the office, mm-hmm. like the PR or you know, and like if not that, that selling hot dogs in the stands, right? Exactly, and that goes back to the whole Brad Pitt's character needing to be the smartest guy. Like as soon as he walks out of that meeting, and this guy who was giving them all this advice, he's like, "I need to know who this guy is," mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. right away. Yeah. So that was the part that actually surprised me the most because in that meeting, Jonah Hill was basically in charge. Like, I mean, it looked like the GM was like saying yes or no, you can't have the yeah. this player, but he was deferring to Jonah Hill. I was shocked they got rid of Jonah Hill so fast then. It's because of why he, he talked. Oh. Yeah, and, and 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 it's kind of and it's like Jonah Hill describes that because Brad Pitt's like, why does he listen to you? And he's like, well, he doesn't really listen to me. He listened to this guy because I suggested something and he oh. trusts him. And it's because of how Jonah Hill presented his character and like his beliefs is why they let him go so easily. It's because it's like this is a Bill James supporter. Like, this is a baseball outsider. We don't really care. We don't care. want him. Yeah. He's good at what he does, but we don't want him, like, you know, messing, like, infecting other people with the mindset. It, what's great, like, I just wrote a note down for my supercut that I'm making for the end of the year. Yes. You could take that scene where they just look over at Jonah Hill and just replace it with a gif of Jonah Hill at the Oscars going, no. You're right. <laughs> really, no. <laughs> um, and then... This this other one has to do with how wound up people can get in baseball. The scout, the old scout, yeah. when they're at the meeting, mm-hmm. and Brad Pitt's like, "Come on, guys, we're not looking for Fabio here because they're talking about like the body and yeah, like how everything, and yeah, and... like that." And, and and Brad Pitt goes, "We're not looking for Fabio here." And then later on in the scene, the the old scout that has like the uh, the ear thing mm-hmm. in, he goes. Who's Fabio? And yeah. then somebody from the other side of the table goes, I think he's a shortstop in Seattle. And then somebody goes, yeah, no, he's definitely a shortstop in Seattle. Like on the whole table, like these half the guys didn't know, didn't catch the reference. And they thought they were, he was talking about a baseball player. Quick, Devin, like, do you know who Fabio is? He is a shortstop in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you don't know who Fabio is. I mean, isn't he like a... Uh, a male sex icon yeah. that's typically shirtless and has long hair. And this... it was in the I can't believe it's not butter commercials. Was he really? Yeah. I didn't know that part. He also killed a um, a goose with his face. What uh, on a roller coaster? <laughs> no. A goose, yeah, a goose decided to kill itself on Fabio's face. No, Fabio <laughs> killed the goose. Fabio gave him the blue no, steel. No, he was like, that's how I want to go. If anyone, anyone's face is going to run into me, it's going to be Fabio's. <laughs> he was on a roller coaster that was like opening in like France or Europe somewhere and he went off and then and then when they came back into the station, all of the press was there because it was like Fabio yeah. and like everything and he comes back into the station and the models around him are like, some of them are laughing, some of them are like really like shocked mm-hmm. and Fabio's face is like covered in blood oh. and everybody's panicking like what the hell happened to fabio's face right and, that's like 30 percent of his income is his face um and then real quick the other uh the other thing has to do with like the oakland a's like perception of how people see the oakland a's and it's when billy uh goes great he sounds like an oakland a already because mm-hmm. he flips the name up on the board oh yeah and it's like, it was like who's that and he's like great he sounds like an oakland a already because nobody knows who this guy is yeah, I like that. I liked. I I really did like those scenes, like with like the the old timey scouts and like yeah. Because I I think the one thing that I found most satisfying about this was those people going like kind of gatekeeping, like scouting. Oh yeah. For and then like I just got so much satisfaction out of being like, well, you're wrong. Stop gatekeeping. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, we uh, we don't know. They don't know what we know, and we have this. We have the magic sauce. It's like, no, you don't. Like, so the funny thing about that scene uh-huh. is that in two thousand, by two thousand one, two thousand two, a lot of scouts felt that way. Oh wow! This film was made in two thousand eleven. Like we said, a ten year difference. Only four of the people, or uh, only four of the scouts mm-hmm. around that table, were actors. The rest were oh. actual scouts that they called in to help with the movie. And the director and Brad Pitt worked, you know, was like working with them. Uh-huh. And they were trying to get like, you know, what the language is, you know, how these meetings go. And they were just like, you know, we're just going to throw in our actor characters and you guys are just going to just it's 2002. Mm-hmm. Come to this meeting prepared to talk about players from 2002. And yeah. they just let them go. And that was a normal scout meeting from 2002. That's cool. You would have recognized one of the actors if you looked closely. Who was it? It was 
Aaron Pierce from 24. That's right. That's who that was. Yeah. Yep. That's cool. The actor's name is uh, Glenn Moorehauser. He's on something else too that I've seen recently. He's in a lot of stuff. Uh, he's on. He was on Bloodline. Uh, he's on The Resident. He shows up as like a general in like all the Transformers movies. Yep. I think that's where I've seen him then. I think you he's on to... the Transformers ride. <laughs> oh, okay. Universal. That's probably where I know him from. Let's see. What, what year did that ride come out? I think 2015. Not listed, but he's probably in there. Yeah, I think he. I think he is in there. I think he's a general. But yeah. that's awesome. Like, and I also I know that he's bald typically, but I can't tell you how badly bald Philip Seymour Hoffman threw me off. Because the whole time, like, he looks like Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> that wow, that's like Philip Seymour Hoffman's twin. And like, at no point was I like, yeah, it's him. I was like, wow, it looks so good, but he's not bald. Yeah, yeah, and it there's just so much about there's a lot of that with this movie that I like of like because like when I first saw it like I was I didn't know the guy's name I just knew that I liked him as an actor and I would see him occasionally rarely and stuff mm. when I first saw him I'm like oh cool he's the manager yeah and then they would go through and I didn't even realize that that was Chris Pratt in this until like around I think maybe Guardians oh wow. that I realized that that was Chris Pratt playing the uh, catcher slash uh, first baseman. Yeah. I mean, if you didn't watch Parks and Rec, you wouldn't recognize him at that right. point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a shame that we lost Philip Seymour Hoffman. It really is. Uh, one thing I will say about this movie is it does underutilize him. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such a big name for what ends up being kind of a minor role. Like, he does have his moments with Brad Pitt. Yeah. And they're important to the story, but I, I just wish there was more there for him to do. Kind of like, like, I thought it was weird that Robin Wright is Brad Pitt's ex-wife. <laughs> right! Because it's like, okay, you're bringing in this big actress, and it's such a tiny role. I think she has two scenes. If that, really. And one of them's on the phone. Yeah. Like over the yeah. phone. So. Well, what I like about that scene, particularly when he goes in to like get his daughter, and he's sitting there talking to his ex-wife, and I guess her new husband or boyfriend or whatever, and... um. The guy's like, the guy's the guy's trying to be friendly with Brad Pitt, and he's like, "Oh, I heard you lost uh, uh, Jarambi," and like him and his wife were like, "Giambi." <laughs> that was me. That guy would be me, by the way. And, and that's you know, and that's fine. If you don't yeah. follow the sport and you've got an odd name, you're gonna yeah, try. Like, that's gonna try. happen. At least the guy was trying to be friendly, mm-hmm. and you could tell that Brad Pitt's character, that the way Brad Pitt was portraying that character, he was. Being the same way. He was like, you know, friendly for friendly, you know, just letting things go up until the whole cell phone talk. Right. And he tried to interject and he's like, this is me and her mom will talk about this. And he just kind of sat back. But I love the stereotype of like, uh, of like the Los Angeles home, oh my God. the clothes and his costume like uh-huh. the t-shirt thin hooded hoodie mm-hmm. with like the the mandals that he was wearing i yeah. was ready for this scene to turn into the snl skit the californians like at <laughs> any second take the 105 don't have a 405 and then take Mal holland until you get to found so <laughs> i kind of i didn't really like the brad pitt's family stuff Oh no! But I get the. I, I think the only reason you have it in there is to explain why he doesn't take the job in boston at the end yeah, I, I agree. I, I I think that's the only purpose it serves in this. Like, I get his flashbacks to a point, mm-hmm. but the flashbacks have nothing to do with his daughter. No, and, I mean, that part's And true. she doesn't come in until, like, 45 minutes into the movie anyway. Well, they had other stuff shot to do, like, more with the family, but yeah. I think they figured on the final cut, we're like, the movie's called Moneyball, not Billy Bean. This is about the book right. and what happened in Oakland. Billy Bean was just... Part of it, the overall story is the team and the situation, not him and his life. I I don't think you needed to have like I, I just it it was distracting to me. Like it it just felt out of place with the rest of the. Movie. I'm trying to think of what stakes you would have had for Billy Bean if you didn't have the family stuff though. Like because at one point he was almost at risk of losing his job, and like I mean I, I think as a casual viewer, I would just be like, fine, he'll get hired somewhere else for baseball. Like, yeah. he'll do a baseball thing somewhere. I else. mean, I still felt that way, regardless. Even yeah, I don't with know. the family, but he it, it is true though that if this failed, uh-huh. he would. No one would have hired him. He'd be working at Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, like 
if if the whole like sabermetrics thing did not work in 2002 and they never recovered from like the start of the season then like they people would still be like doing the whole like body like the the, the, the eyeball test so then i do have a question then in 2001 who paid more dick sporting goods or the oakland a's <laughs> definitely the oakland a's see the 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 difference between like what makes a team a small market compared to large market, mm. it, it, one is the viewership, like how broad their viewership is. But okay. at the same time, that's not always a definite because mm. you've got the New York Yankees. Okay, they've got history. They've got you know, they've got history behind them. They have like the largest market in the country. You know, w- working on their side. But then so do the Mets. Right. But the Mets don't share the same. Uh, uh, success and they're technically a large market team and they blow money like the Yankees do not as much but they still have a ton of money compared to other teams mm-hmm. um, so you've got that you know disparity now when it comes to viewership and well when it comes to like you know getting like the broadcast out mm-hmm. the, the St. Louis Cardinals are in like the middle of the Midwest and their TV market is absolutely massive, mm-hmm. but it's rural. Right. So there's technically the St. Louis Cardinals are a small market team, but they traditionally perform like a large market team mm-hmm. because of how they run their organization. Um, so there's always a red herring. Right. And it comes to this stuff. And with Oakland being a small market team, being where they are, like you've got to look at like how, you know, how many networks can they get deals with to show the games? How many sponsors can they get to put billboards up in the stadium? Mm-hmm. How many people come to come to the actual games and jersey sales? Oh, right. And so you've got all of this different stuff you're pulling money in from. Mm-hmm. And if you're competing with like the Giants across the bay, <laughs> it, it's difficult. And I would say the Giants are more of a larger market team than the o- than the A's are simply because of longevity. Like, and what I mean by that, because somebody listening is going to be like, but the A's have been around since like the beginning of baseball. <laughs> and it's true because they played in St. Louis for a time. And I yeah. think they played in, I mean, they played in Philly first. They were the Philadelphia A's. And then they moved to like Chicago, I think, at one point oh, wow. or, or another city. And then they finally moved to Oakland once like the Giants and the Dodgers were out there. Um, and that's where like the video, the black and white video of like, you know, it's like the A's have matched their record from like the 1907 A's that they were in Philly, I believe at the time. Oh, got it. Um, but the giants have done more in the past 50 years than what the A's have had. Mm -hmm. So like fan bases shrink and, that's there's a ton of factors that go into what's a small and large market team but Mm -hmm. unfortunately there's a very real result at the end of it and you've got some teams that just they they can't buy the the like top uh free agent because they physically can't give a person six million dollars a season to be like their franchise player because they have to take that six million dollars and play seven other players with that well this is the whole salary cap issue in baseball right yeah, like there's still there still isn't a salary cap in baseball. There's um there's not, but they have things like if like the Cardinals couldn't re-sign Albert Pujols when he left back in like 2012 or 2011, and uh, because of that, they won like an extra draft pick or something like that. Uh, so like there's little things that stuff. they've that like they've done to kind of even the gap for like. Because the A's lost three all-star-ish players. In the season could, that we saw. In in the season that ended before the storyline picked up that they were talking about. Like Giambi oh, and all of them, like right, those three players that left. Yeah. They would have gotten concessions mm-hmm. from those three players leaving. So it wouldn't have been as difficult if the rules that are in place now were in place then. So can you really just fire a baseball player like they did in this movie where they're just like, sorry, you're gone. Or, hey, you're traded. Here's this thing. Like, yeah. Almost with no, like, real warning. Like, No. Th- I mean, when it comes to trades, yes, that can just be at the drop of a hat. Wow. But 
all of this stuff is written into contracts. These players oh, know what they're getting into. Got it. And when contracts are traded, just like with David Justice, he was with the Yankees, mm-hmm. and he was going to be paid $7 million that season, but the Yankees were like, we don't want this guy on our payroll. He's We have other players that are better than him that we can you know, do better with. So they worked out a trade where the A's paid half of that $7 million and the Yankees paid the other half for that season. And that's where Billy Bean was like, they're paying, like they're paying half of your salary for you to play against them. Okay. Cause I didn't understand what that meant. I was like, are they like betting against it? Like I didn't know that's how contracts no, work. He was getting, he was going to be paid um, depending. And this is another thing. Like mm-hmm. the $7 million may not be exactly what he's getting paid. Mm-hmm. What he, what he's actually getting paid for base for that season might actually be like six or five and a half million. The rest of that is like, does he, uh, uh, does he finish above hitting 300 at the end of the season? Does he make the all-star game? Does he uh, Wow. Does he get this many RBIs? There's a ton of things written into these contracts where like they'll say like, "Oh, this player, you know, signed a 200 million dollar contract for the next 10 years for, you know, you know, team." It, that's if that player meets all of the expectations out of that contract. Yeah, right. In reality, he might only get maybe now granted I said 200 million, so that's huge, but yeah. If you follow me, that might only end up being 150. Wow. So, like, if a contract's 25 million, it might only end up being 19. Wow. I didn't know there was that like that much of a difference there. And and when trades happen, Mm -hmm. it it's also who's paying what. And yes, ridiculous things get involved, like paying for soda in a clubhouse. (laughs) uh, In a clubhouse. so. So, final thoughts on Moneyball before we wrap this up. I loved it. I, it's like up there with Ford v Ferrari for me, where it's like not a movie that I would have like picked for myself, but I enjoyed way more than I thought I would, and would okay. watch this again in a second. All right. Yeah, I enjoyed this one. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we. I, I'm glad I got the chance to rewatch it for this. Um, Ryan, I know you already have one in the chamber for next season when the baseball season starts. Yes. What's the next baseball movie you're gonna have us watch? We're gonna start off. We're gonna start off next season with Bull Durham. Okay. Okay. The, a, the adult version of Sandlot. Oh, I like I, this thing. I've got that somewhere around here on VHS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And it has one of my favorite actresses in it ever. Susan Sarandon. Oh, okay. <laughs> Damn it, Janet. Uh, all right. I think that does it for this week's episode. I think next week is Devin's turn to make us watch something. It is. Devin, what are you going to have us watch? We're going to watch a little John Goodman movie that I don't know if a lot of people know about. It's called Captive State. Uh, It's a sci-fi movie. So I'm I'm curious what you guys think about it. I can't wait to talk about that next week. Definitely not five minutes from now. (laughs) (laughs) Particularly not five minutes from now. Yeah, that'd be weird. (laughs) All right. So you can tune in next week to hear us talk about Captive State. In the meantime, you can make sure you like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. You can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Audible, TuneIn, Alexa, and the iHeartRadio app. Wow. And until next time for You Have to Watch This Podcast, I'm Alan. I'm Ryan. And I'm Devin. How can you not be romantic about baseball? baseball. baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially with...